0: help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com.
1: Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, here we are again. I tend to say that quite often. Here we are again, as if I'm expecting we'd be somewhere else. No, it's going to be the same thing forever, it seems. <laughs> well, Greg, last week when you weren't here, I had Blair join me and we talked about this idea of being a broker versus being a fiduciary, quite a significant difference between a broker and a fiduciary. Absolutely. Yep. And happy to say that we are fiduciaries, so it doesn't really matter. Exactly. But one of the things that came out of that episode was we did finish the episode off talking about the benefits of all things financial planning. Something that you and I have talked about lots, and there is a lot of benefit to doing financial planning, of course. And one of the things that comes up in those financial plans is this idea of layers of retirement income and how people will come in and they'll say things like, how much do I need to retire? And the answer is obviously, well, how much do you plan on spending? Exactly. Yeah. And then you got to figure out, well, where is it coming from? And so today we are going to talk about these sources or layers of retirement income and maybe talk a little bit about annuities, something you haven't heard of in a while. That's right.
2: And I think probably for the last 12 to 14 years, things like annuities haven't been discussed much, primarily because of the low levels of interest rates over the last number of years. So when we hit that topic, I think it's going to be probably new for many people just because it hasn't been discussed a lot. So let's start by just talking about retirement income, because as you said, when people are working, it's fairly obvious where your sources of income is coming from. It's from your employment. And one of the scariest things about retirement for many people is, okay, well, the regular paycheck ends, what happens next? And that's where a lot of our financial planning goes into, as you say, once you know how much you need to spend, then the next thing is figuring out where is the money coming from? And if there's any opportunity to take money selectively from one location or another to make it more tax advantage, for example, then we want to do that as well. So yeah, so let's just start talking about the three main pillars of retirement income in Canada, and the three main pillars being the old age security, the Canada pension plan, and personal savings. Could they come up with a better name than old age security? I was just going to say that I find that offensive, given that I, of course, qualify for old age security at this point, and I don't consider myself old aged. No. So come up with something a little bit, or maybe we should think up something on this podcast and we'll propose it to the government. I
1: don't think they'd listen to us, but we could try.
2: No, probably not. Okay. So let's just dig into those a little bit. The publicly funded plans being old age security and the Canada pension plan, a couple of differences between those two. So first of all, old age security here in forward referred to as OAS. There, we solved it. Yep. There you go. (laughs) So OAS basically is available to anybody who is, I believe you have to have lived and worked in Canada for 10 years past the age of 18. There are some relatively straightforward requirements to qualify for OAS. And so let's just assume that for most people that are listening, they've lived in Canada most of their lives, they've worked here and they retire here. So OAS, basically it's financed completely through tax revenue. So the money that's used to pay OAS payments to individuals comes from general tax revenues of the government. And currently, OAS payments max out at about $700 a month, or about $8,400 per year. Okay, so that's OAS. CPP is a little bit different. The Canada Pension Plan, CPP, first of all, it's financed through both Employer and employee contributions. And so, anybody that's had a paycheck in Canada notices that, well, gee, they've deducted a swack of money from my paycheck for CPP contributions. Employers have to make CPP contributions as well. And so, those contributions from the employer and the employee, as well as investment returns over time, is the source of funding for the Canada Pension Plan. And as we understand it, the Canada Pension Plan is well funded and expected to provide pension benefits to people for a long long time in the future because that's always one of the concerns oh the cpp will run out of money by the time i am able to collect and that's just not true and there's some material changes happening to the cpp for 2024
1: the maximum pensionable earnings under the cpp will rise to 68500 from 66600 probably an inflationary adjustment well they're introducing a new higher earnings limit, which is also known as the year's additional maximum pensionable earnings. So people that earn high wages can just have a higher CPP later. Makes sense. But they got to contribute more to get it. Exactly.
2: That's right. Yeah. And I think that's the key thing that people need to realize is it's not a handout. Basically, we all contribute and our employers all contribute. And the money we get back is based on those contributions, as I say, and investment returns over time. Currently, at age 65, the maximum CPP, which is calculated based on your earnings over the last number of years prior to retirement, but currently the max at age 65 is about $1,300 a month, which is about 15700 ish per year.
1: Which isn't, if you think about it, it's not that bad. If you have a married couple, I'm just going to default to the lowest common denominator. Does it just you have a married couple or a couple, whatever form that is, and they're both getting how much? Fifteen thousand seven hundred a year. So that sounds like
2: thirty-one thousand four hundred to me. And another total of sixteen thousand eight hundred for the two of them for OAS. Yes, yeah, so it's about forty-eight thousand a year. Forty-eight thousand.
1: So there's lots of people that are in the workforce that maybe don't earn forty-eight thousand
2: right now. That's right. And so I think for an individual, then twenty-four thousand CPP and OAS combined, assuming that you've worked pretty much straight through from your mid-20s to retirement. But I think it's safe to say that these days and what with inflation and all, 24000 a year per person, is probably not going to be sufficient for many people. Well, it depends on what your tastes are. But anybody that wants to eat, I don't know, real food? Exactly. And so then we fall back onto the third pillar, which is the privately funded sources of retirement income. And those would include things like company pension plans, Which can be very valuable and important to many people. And then personal savings, retirement savings through RRSPs, through tax free savings accounts, and also through just savings, non registered savings outside of those. So let's just talk about the company sponsored plans, first of all. So the gold standard of retirement income funded by companies would be the defined benefit pension plan, which are becoming harder to find. They're becoming harder to find because they're extremely valuable to employees. The company essentially bears all the risk that they generate sufficient returns to be able to meet all the pension payment requirements. And that means in times of poor market returns, because most of the money in these plans is invested in markets, stocks, bonds, and other, they need returns to keep growing because the pension liabilities or obligations keep growing as well. And so as a result of that, many companies have not wanted to take the risk, the return profile risk that defined benefit plans offer. Well, I think it's not that they want to take the risk. It's that they want to
1: pass the risk off to the employee. Exactly. Because defined benefit pension plans, I know we spent a whole episode on this a while back. They are harder to find, but they're not impossible to find. And there's a thing called the funded ratio that pension administrators have to follow to make sure that their pension is fully funded. And do you remember years ago, we tried implementing this into retail accounts. We tried showing people their personal funded ratio status, which was interesting to do, but the data was hard to acquire. Exactly.
2: So the defined benefit plan, gold standard, congratulations to anybody that's part of a defined benefit plan because that is certainly a great feature to have in your retirement income, that there's a source of income that's going to continue for as long as you live. So what's happened is defined benefits plans have become less common. You've seen a growth in what we call the defined contribution plan or sometimes called a money purchase plan. And in this scenario, essentially the company provides the individual employee with the funds that they might have separately put aside into the defined benefit plan. And then it's up to the employee or the plan member to invest the money accordingly. And then any of the market risk that might accrue basically is the responsibility and it's the problem, essentially, of the employee. So still an awesome plan for many people because the company is just providing funds for your retirement. They're just putting the money in your hands and it's up to you to invest it wisely. Okay, but still anybody that's part of any company's sponsored pension plan is in pretty good shape because they're really getting an extra leg up. And you think about pension plans, which typically think of public service workers, think of teachers, members of plans, I mean, they can generate a nice $30,000, $40,000 a year relatively easily through their company pension plan if they've been with the company for a long time.
1: But what about some companies don't have either. They don't have defined benefit. They don't have defined contribution, but they offer group RSP plans. And there's people out there that wouldn't know or wouldn't be aware of some of the differences, but the main difference between a defined benefit pension plan, like you said, is it passes off the onus to the company In a defined contribution plan, the onus goes on to the employee. And in a group RSP, it actually also goes on to the employee. But the difference between the RSP and the defined contribution plan is that that employee could access those funds before retirement. That's right. They would just have to pay a tax bill. When it goes into a defined contribution plan, it can't be fully
2: withdrawn. That's right. You can't access those funds until you reach retirement age or leave the company. And then typically, those funds would roll over into what we call a locked-in retirement account. Okay, with the concept there, it's locked in because the regulators feel that this money was intended to provide long-term retirement income, and they don't want people being able to access the funds and use it to buy a Ferrari or something. What if it's a used Ferrari? Well, that's okay then. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe import it from the States and it has 300,000 miles on it. Exactly. And so, when you talk about things like group RSP, those are beneficial to employees as well, because essentially what the companies will do is they'll match employee contributions. So, if an employee contributes $5,000 a year into their RSP, then the employers might match that. And essentially, it's just an added perk of employment, but it goes towards helping people fund their own retirements. So, those are the company assisted plans, the pension plans to find benefit, to find contribution in RSP or group RSPs. And then there's personal savings, which we've talked about many times. RSPs are just registered retirement savings plans offer individuals an opportunity to defer tax by making contributions to their own retirement. And the government allows you to defer the tax until the money comes out. And with the idea that possibly when the money comes out of your RSP, you'll be in a lower tax bracket than when you actually contributed the funds. And therefore, there's a tax advantage, both deferral and hopefully lower tax. And that maximum contribution limit goes up annually? It goes up annually. It's up around, I think it's 26,000 or something-ish. Well, you tell me. Well, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I'm going to say it's in the range of 26,000. I could tell you. Why don't you check that? Let me just confirm that. How would you do that? I wonder. Well, I
1: have this little laptop. Oh, yes. That works quite well. I ask it questions.
2: I say, hey, laptop. Or ask ChatGPT a question. What am I looking up again? What is the the twenty twenty four or twenty twenty three RSP contribution limit? It's actually wow thirty thousand seven eighty.
1: Where have I must have been asleep for the last few years? I guess COVID's got you. But there is a caveat to this. It is maxed out at eighteen percent of your earned income. So,
2: so if you're in hundred thousand dollars, eighteen thousand will be your limit. You know, in the subsequent year. But still, for high earners, the ability to shelter 30,000 plus of annual income is a great opportunity. There's one part there that you should mention,
1: though, that if you're in a defined benefit pension plan, it is going to eat away at your RSP contribution room. So a lot of people in those plans have very little, if any, RSP contribution room that they, they can right. use.
2: Yeah, that's right. The government wants to ensure that everyone is treated fairly. And if you have an employer who's essentially making the equivalent amount of contributions in terms of the pension plan, then that's clawed back.
1: Oh, and sorry, one other pillar that we didn't even bring up, there's actually some other ones. There's individual pension plans and retirement compensation arrangements. We're not going to spend
2: any time on those today. No. And those tend to apply to either executives at large companies or professionals, business owners, that kind of thing. So sure, lots of other opportunities. The other retirement plan or offering that is available to Canadians, which is just fantastic, is the tax-free savings account. And as people know, the tax-free savings account allows you to put away funds that can grow tax-free. And when the funds are removed from the account, they can be removed tax-free. So it's fantastic started at $5,000 a year when tax-free savings accounts were first introduced. And now for 2024, the contribution limit is $7,000. So fantastic for anybody. You can open an account anytime at or after age 18. And a wonderful opportunity for anybody that has cash to invest. And even in years where you don't, you can carry it forward. That's right. The contribution room carries forward.
1: And we talked about this in a previous episode. Listen, my son, who's 20 years old, he can't contribute to an RSP, a TFSA, a first home savings account. He can't maximize all that stuff. He just doesn't have the money. But the important part is the ability to carry it forward.
2: Yeah. And the tax-free savings account is wonderful for that because you can carry it forward indefinitely. So you don't lose the contribution room, even if you didn't have the money to contribute. So I think it's safe to say that, The government itself doesn't believe that CPP and OAS will be sufficient for most individuals. There certainly are other supplemental programs like the Guaranteed Income Supplement for seniors who just do not have enough retirement income. But outside of the government programs, lots of opportunities for employees and investors to build up sources of retirement income or retirement assets, let's say. Now, one of the things we wanted to talk about, and we'll just spend maybe the rest of this episode talking about, are annuities. And annuities are something that we haven't talked about a lot over the last many years, because annuities, the payout on an annuity is dependent on the interest rates prevalent at the time that you enter the
1: annuity contract. Which have gone up pretty dramatically this last 18 months, which is making them
2: more attractive. Exactly. So let's talk about what an annuity is. An annuity is a financial product It provides you a guaranteed regular income, and it can be for life, and typically it's used during retirement, and typically it's sold by an annuity provider, which in Canada is primarily life insurance companies. And so for people, I think of annuities as the thing that people that have pension plans, defined benefit plans, they already have an annuity. Essentially, the pension is an annuity that's been provided by their employer. For people that aren't part of a defined benefit plan, annuities give you the opportunity to create a similar type of retirement income stream. So what happens with an annuity is essentially you buy it with a lump sum payment typically, or you could make a series of payments over time. But then the annuity provider, the insurance company, guarantees you a stream of income for a particular period of time or for life. And the amount of income that you receive is going to include a combination of A few things. It's going to include interest on the money that you've deposited with the insurer. Part of it's going to be a return of your own capital. And the other thing with the annuity is similar to the way life insurance works, as part of the return that you get, essentially, it's a transfer of capital from annuity holders who die earlier than expected. And that transfer goes to those people who who live longer than expected. So the, the way to think of an annuity is the reverse of a life insurance policy. So you're depositing a sum of money with the insurer, let's say $100,000. And when the insurer calculates how much income they're going to pay you for life on that $100,000, they're going to take into their consideration your life expectancy. And so for anybody who actually lives longer than expected, you're a winner because the insurance company has to pay you the guaranteed income for as long as you live. For somebody who dies prior to life expectancy, then essentially the money that they don't spend gets divided up among the other annuity holders and the life insurance company.
1: It's funny to me that annuities are sold by life insurance companies for one reason, Greg, because what you just said, if you outlive what the pension people think you will, you get more money, so you win. But if they sell you a life insurance policy and you die early, then your estate gets way more money and therefore you win
2: in a weird way. Well, that's right. I think it's easier to look at it from the insurance company's standpoint than the (laughs) the individual because dying early holding a life insurance policy is quite a commitment on the part of the insured. But it's exactly as you say, though, the insurance company wins with a life insurance contract, like a term insurance contract, where you live beyond the term of the contract and they've taken all your premiums and thank you very much. They use those premiums for their own profits and to fund life insurance payouts for people that Die earlier, as you said, than expected. Exactly the opposite is true with annuities, where the insurance company wins if you die earlier than expected and they lose if you die later than expected. So that's a function of how life insurance companies work. But let's just give an example of an annuity. Well, before I do that, the way we look at annuities, and I personally, the way I look at annuities and I consider things like CPP and OAS also like an annuity, it's a pension for life, is that. When we do financial plans, we like to look at when you're looking at your spending, what is discretionary spending and what is non-discretionary spending? And it's the non-discretionary spending that I worry. That's what people worry about most. If you own a home, you have to be able to pay taxes, pay insurance, keep the lights on, keep the heat on, buy food, maintain your home. So there's a whole series of non-discretionary expenses that you're going to have month after month, year after year. And it's comforting to know that your non-discretionary expenses are covered no matter what through some regular guaranteed income. And so CPP, OAS, and maybe an employer-sponsored pension plan are great ways to cover off those non-discretionary expenses. And then discretionary expenses are things that you'd like to do, but they're discretionary. So you want to take trips, you want to have a cottage or spend time at the lake. Those are discretionary. And if the money is not there, then maybe you won't do it that year. Well, you know what's non-discretionary in our household? What's that?
1: Starbucks is a non-discretionary expense.
2: Oh, well, there you go. No, no, that's right. You can't live without Starbucks (laughs) or a subscription to Netflix. (laughs) So for people without a company pension plan, an annuity is a great option to basically set aside some of your capital to provide you income that you can't outlive. So here's just an example, and you can do annuity calculations online. Most of the insurance companies have a website that'll allow you to just plug in some basic information. But I just did this for somebody age 65 in a tax bracket, let's say a 35% average tax rate, with a $100,000 deposit, you could earn annual income of $6,628 before tax. So that sounds to me like a 6.63% return if you're comparing it to, let's say, a GIC or some other investment vehicle. But how's the income treated? Well, and that's the great news about annuities is because annuities, you qualify what they call a prescribed annuity, which is a tax treatment that basically spreads out the interest that you're receiving on your annuity over the expected term of the annuity. And so rather than having all $6,628 be taxable, In fact, only a small portion of that is taxable. And so your after-tax income is $6,000, $6,032, or 6.03%. Now, if you were to be able to get a GIC at 6.6%, which you're not, but if you're able to do that, after-tax, in a 35% tax bracket, you'd be down around 4% of after-tax return. And so the annuity does offer very significant tax advantages, and the payout, seems higher than a GIC because, in fact, you are receiving part of your own principal back with every income payment you receive. So there is a difference than buying a GIC. You buy a GIC, you get the interest, but you have full access to your money. Whereas with an annuity, you're essentially handing over the money to the insurer and they're providing you a pension for life. And you can't get that amount back. Well, you can through various options, meaning That you can take certain guaranteed periods or return of your principal. And so you can buy an annuity that says, look, if I die prior to 10 years, then my estate is going to get the balance of the annuity payments until 10 years have passed or 15 years. And of course, every option that you add to an annuity decreases the income somewhat because the insurance company is taking extra risks. So you could get cost of living options, if you like, where the income adjusts up. But of course, you'll get lower payouts to start.
1: Well, people see this in their when they get their pension statements. You can run models of if you get your pension and you want it paid out to a single person just for the duration of their life, it's going to pay out the higher amount. If you have it paid out upon the death of the first person, the survivor gets an amount. Exactly. It's going to be reduced, the payout. If it's a certain time period, as you mentioned, that's guaranteed, it's going to be further reduced. So in plain English, Why would they do that, Greg?
2: Why would they pay out less when you're taking less risk? Well, the answer is because it's costing them more money. And so over time, if your payouts are going to increase with cost of living, then they need to reduce them at the beginning to allow for that. Likewise, and when you look at a joint survivor annuity, much like a joint survivor pension, well, now when you're including your spouse, and particularly if it's the male in the family that has the annuity, then women are expected to live longer, and therefore the insurance company is going to have to make payouts or payments of that annuity for a longer period of time. And so that all gets factored into the cost.
1: To me, it's risk. It's risk gets factored in. So if you've got it on one person just for the duration of their life, yes, it pays out the highest amount because when that person dies, it goes away. But if you have it on two people for the duration of either of their lives, of course it pays out less because, as you say, it's a
2: risk premium. Exactly. And the insurance companies are very good at modeling that risk, and it's why God invented actuaries, actually. God invented actuaries? Absolutely, to be able to do that. (laughs) (laughs) There was an actuary in the Garden of Eden? (laughs) Well, it could be. It might have been the snake. I don't know. I thought we were talking about religious aspects. Okay, no, sorry. Anyway, so I think the key thing is that annuities were not a topic of discussion for many years, because again, the amount that you can receive from the annuity payout is obviously a function of interest rates and insurance companies take this all into account. And so if they know that they're only earning 2% on their long-term investments, then they can't afford to pay you what the equivalent of 5% of interest income.
1: Now you'd say, well, the uh, bank prime in Canada, I think is 7.2%.
2: Correct. Yep. Yeah. So if the annuity is paying out 6% in your example, there's still a spread there. Sure there is. Yeah. And listen, again, the key thing to remember in the case of an annuity is that the income you receive is a combination of both interest and your own principal, And so you do have to take that into account. But for many people, the comfort of knowing that they don't have to worry about the returns on their investments, they're not subject to market fluctuations they've essentially bought a contract with an insurance company, and they've spent a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000, and they know they have guaranteed income for life. It can be a very comforting source of retirement income. So there you have it, annuities in a nutshell. Yeah, big nutshell.
1: Okay, well, that was good. I think we're out of time for today. We're one minute late. Our apologies to anybody still listening, but <laughs> we'll make it up next time. We'll go one minute early.
2: Exactly. All right, okay. till next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the free lunch podcast hosted by the CM group at CIBC Wood Gundy to subscribe to this podcast, to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets work.com. We'll see you next time on the free lunch podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Woodgundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Woodgundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kruminski are investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates, or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking, or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets Inc. 2023.